everybody. Welcome back to In My Feels. I'm Emily. I'm J-R-E. And we have another roundtable for you this week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we are continuing the journalists roundtable. We had really uh, a really successful one last week, which I think a lot of people enjoyed. And this time we are continuing it with a new set of journalists we have um okay kate hollowell we have alexis adoyan and then we have natalie morin okay and taylor glassby so it's a range yes a range of people from around the country or the u.s and around the world for taylor (laughs) and i guess a little bit for alexis because she writes for a lot of latino that's an next publication. So, True. yeah, um, we have them all on, and we will be finishing up the journalist roundtable next week with uh, mm. Riddhi Chakraborty from hey. Rolling Stone India. Not only that, we also have an update on the Hwasa Maria album giveaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to be extending that giveaway so we have more chances to actually, you know, get involved and participate in this go away in order to you know win uh yeah. this uh beautiful album uh mm-hmm. so it will end i think we're extending to september 28th if i yes. am correct that is correct and uh yes please uh in order to win how do we win emily <laughs> basically you just need to be a premium member um of in my fields so on the himalaya app so just download the app mm. download himalaya search in my fields and for four ninety nine a month, you will be entered into this giveaway, or just want this one month. But you can also use a premium code of capital H, lowercase I, dash, lowercase M, capital P, capital P, capital R, seven, and you will get thirty days for completely for free. And, and um, yeah, so you, that's how you enter. Once you enter in, or once you pay that amount at checkout. Um, then you will receive a confirmation email and mm-hmm. screenshot that confirmation email from Himalaya, send it to us at the podcast at gmail.com email with the subject line saying Hwasa Maria album, and that will be your entry. So that is how you enter into the exactly. Maria Hwasa giveaway. Yeah. Hey. And to everybody mm-hmm. that's entering, please, uh, you know, all instructions and good luck yeah good luck hope you you guys enjoy this episode welcome back to in my fields my name is jre and i'm emily and today we got some special guests can mm-hmm. y'all introduce yourselves hi i'm kate hallowell um i write for the ringer by way of spotify about all sorts of things k-pop being one of them Hello, everyone. My name is Natalie Morin. I'm an entertainment writer at Refinery29. I cover many things, including the wonderful world of K-pop. Hello, uh, my name is Taylor. I'm a freelance writer, so I will go anywhere where someone pays me to write. Um, (laughs) I went from writing about rock and roll and indie to pretty much exclusively covering K-pop. Hi, I'm Alexis Oloyan. I'm a freelance writer too. I've been doing this for about six years now. And I also mainly cover K-pop and Latinx music. 
Nice. Yes. Very diverse backgrounds, everybody. And Love it. if you haven't already realized, this is our second journalist roundtable. <laughs> so, yes. Thank you guys all for joining. I'm very excited for this. And I think it's interesting because this is spanning different cultures, you know, obviously across the sea uh, in the UK. So, want to get started, Dre. Yes. Let's start it out with a question that might be simple, but also complicated. Not really. Who are journalists that uh, who have inspired you or still inspire you to this day and why? Man, so many people. Um, I, uh, I love uh, Taffy Broadbuster Ackner in mm-hmm. uh, who writes uh, celebrity profiles in the New York Times. Um, just people who are really good at uh, putting you in the room with a person mm-hmm. or really uh, grasping the essence of a person. Um, Taffy is also really good at um, uh, she it just seems like she doesn't have a filter between her brain and her inner monologue or when she speaks and her writing, which is um, surprisingly really hard to do. Um, okay. I love Doreen St. Felix in The New Yorker, um, uh, Katie Weaver, Rob Sheffield and Brittany Spanos at The Rolling Stone, uh, e. Alex Jung at The Vulture, mm. and okay. many of my, uh, my peers in the K-pop sphere. Nice. Those are great picks. I'm going to add, I'm going to like plug a coworker of mine. Um, Shay Serrano, uh, who writes for The Ringer, I would say inspires me because he was a teacher. He was never a journalism major. He was never like, you know, went to school for journalism or anything, but he just took, and I think this applies to K-pop coverage and people wanting to write about K-pop. He just like took something that he was a fan of and loved, and he just found this very entertaining voice and he writes about these movies or TV or scrubs or like whatever TV show, he gets very specific and has this very voicey personality driven point of view. And I think he's a great example for just taking something that you love and writing about it in a way that people who also love it also love that thing, want to read about and really relate to. Um, So I think about him a lot, especially when I'm writing for the ringer, which is like a very voice driven Mm. site. I just think being a fan of something is really powerful. And I think he really has, has made a really successful career out of that. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that voice-driven thing and how to sure. maneuver that with different, you know, publications um, or outlets. Um, next up, how about Alexis? Oof. Um, I think that what I mainly um, look at is um, style. And since I was in school, like, I always thought that I was going to be a fashion writer. I That's what I Ooh. thought I was going to do. So I always looked up to um, Robin Givon. She won a Pulitzer um, so I always look up to her. And then just stylistically, I um, I know he's all over the place, but I always really loved his essence. Um, Tom Wolfe. Nice. And finally, Taylor. This is maybe a little controversial, but um, like there are pieces that I read. So there's a lot of stuff that um, I read from GQ US because they get a lot of like really like uh. extensive access. There was a piece on Michael Keaton mm. where they went out to his ranch in the middle of fuck nowhere and we're like you know spent days with him and i'm just like oh can you imagine what that's like but by and large i actually don't like name names i think the people that inspire me are like my editors because they're the ones that are like reining me in and giving me advice and actually helping me find my own voice whereas like i'm one of those people if i read too much of something then i start to copy it just maybe it's because i'm a libran i don't know but (laughs) That's just how my brain works. So I try to not read too much of other people's work in case I start kind of like just losing my own voice because that's just a really shitty tendency I have. Mm. 
you know you mentioned you don't normally read other people's works and i wonder like for y'all like for everybody else like do you spend probably more time or just as much time reading your peers or your favorite journal other journalists work as much as you would like writing your own slash researching i i'm when i say i don't read other people's work mm. it's more about i don't read what's in the k-pop sphere as much like i definitely mm. check in like um, there was a Stray Kids piece written by Crystal Bell, like came out yesterday and I read that from top to toe and then I read it again. But mm. by and large, the, the, the profiles that I read are the ones outside of K-pop. They're the ones that mm. I really enjoy. It just okay. kind of makes my brain work a bit harder because sometimes, as we all know, K-pop writing can be a little bit like we have to pad a lot, which I'm sure we'll get into. So, yeah, it's about trying to drill down into the essence. And mm. I think profile writers outside of K-pop have more ability well access to do that interesting yeah we'll definitely get in, in into sure, that yeah. so i guess you know you guys all have very diverse um backgrounds some of you guys are you know not tied but are, are associated with one organization i know natalie that you um will freelance around with ear milk and things like that um Alexis and Taylor, you guys are completely like freelance for the most part um so i guess my question is as a freelancer, how do you find the right organization to pitch to? Um, I know, Alexis, we've talked about it. You know, you write for UPI, which is pretty news newsy um, and how, you know, it, things are edited. And then you'll write for uh, Remescla or, you know, sometimes you've written for Billboard, like where it's more it is newsy, but you, you're allowed to maybe show more of your voice. Um, how do you choose, you know, which publications and outlets that you want to, you know, pitch to pitch yourself to and, and in what way um, that would make the most sense for, you know, any piece that you're doing? I think it depends. It depends on the news cycle. It depends on the group itself because sometimes you will get a, a press release from an artist and they'll be like, oh, we would like to be, you know, do this, this, and this publication, not this one. Mm -hmm. So, or or maybe the editor doesn't want it. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so, so for me, I think that at this point in my career, honestly, it's... Um, who gives me space and who pays me more. <laughs> That's real. That I real. love it. Um, and I guess with with that being said, you know, you're pitching your stuff to a bunch of different um, outlets. I know, Alexis, you store a lot of your stuff on Contently. Taylor, you have an e-portfolio. Um, where do you guys suggest, you know, keeping your work? Do you suggest making an e-portfolio or keeping your work on Contently or Muckrack or, you know, Natalie, you're able to find your work on Refinery29? Um, majority of your work there so what what do you guys suggest in terms of that if you even if you leave like not saying you would but like if you're leaving an organization like you know making sure to back up your your content so that you can be able to pitch yourself around other places i guess i mean i have an e-portfolio so i just made a wordpress website mm -hmm. you know chucked about 20 pounds behind it a year or something just to make mm -hmm. it look a bit like snazzy mm -hmm. um but that was the best because i've actually been in-house before I started freelancing mm -hmm. and that was print. So I had to like go and put all my print pieces into PDFs and then mm -hmm. load it onto the site. Mm -hmm. And it's just a nice way to keep it. I mean, if I wanted to look at all my work, I could just smash my name into Google and, you know, mm -hmm. the SEO would pull up every piece I've ever written for every other magazine. But for new editors, I'm like, here's all my work and it's condensed and it's like categorized and you can find whatever you need in like five seconds. And that for an editor is like, really important because they'll give you like five minutes for your pitch and if you haven't got everything like concise I'll be like nah what do you do you have any thoughts on that Kate 
I mean, you hear all the time these horror stories about archives being lost or, you know, what? like I, I wrote for IndieWire um, back when I was still writing about television <laughs> before mm-hmm. I made this change. Um, and they, a lot of their archives went missing and a lot of people who didn't write for that site anymore suddenly had articles just gone. You know what I mean? Like the internet is not forever. They say it is, but it's technically not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say even if, I mean, even if you're like me and like, I, I like have a, w- a website that you write for regularly and aren't pitching, like you should be downloading PDF, PDFs of, of your hmm. articles and having them on a, on a hard drive somewhere or something like that, just because it happens. You hear about it all the time. Wow. I didn't know that. Like things just go missing yeah or like websites you know websites shut down is a horrible time Mm -hmm. for media (laughs) like you know so i mean you like to think it wouldn't happen and it it doesn't happen too often but i mean you hear i mean you hear people talk about it on twitter and stuff suddenly Mm. it's happened to me too it's funny because you can go like on on shiny's um wikipedia for example and you will see me quote it and be like oh like so young for mtv iggy wrote this this, and that and then you click it and it's like it redirects you to the mtv um website because MTV Iggy doesn't exist anymore. So if so, organizations don't always want to archive all of that. So yeah, honestly, most almost always like an editor would tell you like, hey, like we're going under, save your work. But it has happened that, you know, some people just one day go on on a website and your work is just not there anymore. Nice. Thank you, guys. Uh, Next question, Dure. When you interview a person, you have to research them, of course. Mm -hmm. So... How much research do you actually put into a group or a person? Or how much have you been in a, a situation where you didn't have that much time to research, so you just have to go in kind of bullshitting mm. a little bit? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I've, <laughs> no, never, I've never gone in on a wing. Like, never. <laughs> never? Never. never. They're going the to catch, catch you out. They see the fear in your eyes, and they ask you a mm. question about their, like, their work, and you're like, yeah. Uh, and like, yeah, it's not a good look. <laughs> I did that once, but not in K-pop, and I'm not even naming names because no, no, that yeah. band was just like looking at me like, "Girl, no." And I was like, "I'm sorry, I'm very oh. bad at my job." I was really young. Oh, no. I was really young. Do you guys remember that profile that everyone made fun of online, where that writer? I don't want to call her out because it was a great profile, but she came out and she was interviewing Rihanna and like Rihanna pushed up the interview time and she was like, I didn't have questions. Everyone was like, okay, I like sitting here in my living room have 60 questions for Rihanna. Right, right. Yeah. So I don't know that I I don't know that I've ever done that, but I also don't know that I would admit it if I had. (laughs) She was ballsy. I mean, know the piece you're talking about. And she was like, she had to do it. Like kudos to her for doing it. She just, right. She just made it. She was temporarily a meme online for like a day right yeah. i think it was more, I think it was more like a case of like do you own it or do you write this piece just thinking everyone's right. like oh you're a crap writer and she was like no i'm gonna own up to the fact that i was chucked in the deep end so you know yes. good yeah. on her. i respect it oh for k-pop it's like really tricky though because mm-hmm. you go in and you know that you have seven minutes you have five minutes you have 10 minutes so it's like you can't mm-hmm. really just approach an interview just like let's see what goes like maybe mm. you have time or if you were given the space then you can just like fill in the silence but for me personally I do a lot of research because mm. I know I have an idea of what I want my my piece to be and what I where I want to take it so I go in like with specific questions like I don't have time to waste on like how are you doing like where did you where did you get your name or like where did you grow up like that's the kind of thing that we see with like mainstream um mm-hmm. the interviews right the ones that no one likes because they don't 
put in the research but also like the reader like that's something that i've spent a lot of time trying to explain to editors and it's that the readers are k-pop fans they aren't you know like a casual music person who just like will stumble upon a stray kids article and read it like that's just no you're writing it for your for their fans so it's like you have to you have to give them substance you have to give them something that they want otherwise no one will give a shit about your article that's very true yeah totally agree you know even if you have a baseline knowledge of a of a group or a or a Mm. or an artist like to do to do as much research as you can beforehand to not only see um what's already been written but uh and and get a sense of that but um where you know where coverage is missing or if you have questions that come up along the way and um, knowing that there will be situations where, you know, you'll get something at the last minute and an opportunity and you have to turn on a dime. Like I always mm-hmm. have like a note in my phone where if I'm walking along and I suddenly like think of something or I'm watching like a variety show or whatever, and I think of a question for a group, I'll like write it down so that the day there, you know, someone's like, ah, you have an interview with this group, but you have no time. You have five minutes with them. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. like, I'll be ready. Hmm. Yeah. That's what I was thinking more like if you had like a last minute like thing and you have to like instantly research mode like in an hour or whatever. Mm. I don't think that's ever happened in K-pop. Ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm not even talking about K-pop. I'm just saying in general. Uh, in yeah. ge- I mean, focusing on, on that as a research thing is that they do so much. Like, we all know how much stuff they produce, like how much content and you kind of have mm-hmm. to watch all of it because there's so many little things that like slip between the cracks that i know i could read every single interview but you know there could be this one obscure live that they did and they've said something and there's a perfect question in there just bouncing off that and if you miss it then you've missed a really good opportunity that someone else is going to get so you do end up watching a lot of content so like i would probably spend like maybe two weeks minimum researching a group and try to go through all of their content like literally not ever Uh um probably like from the last like since the last cycle since the last comeback yeah okay okay something i think is really really valuable too is along with consuming all that content and this is like i I think a lot of people sort of keep their social media separate but i think kind of embedding yourself in the stan accounts for whatever group you're following really helps kind of pick through all of that really niche content and not only gets mm-hmm. like what the stands are talking about, what they want to hear, or the questions they actually have, but also like they'll pull out those very like specific questions and those very specific like references to moments in an hour long show or in an hour long concert or whatever that that they care about and that they want to talk about. So if you have like that build up, like I recently interviewed the boys and I, I didn't know them super mm-hmm. well. I was like, Natalie can attest because she sent me like a syllabus on them a couple months ago. Um, but I had like three weeks before I interviewed them and I just like followed a bunch of fan accounts and was just like mm-hmm. watching them and be like, what are they talking about? What are they looking mm-hmm. at? What videos are they mm-hmm. sharing? And then like, you can kind of take the things that they're unanswered questions and the things that they care about and then ask about that. And it kind of cuts through. If you don't quite have all the time to watch all the things, it kind of helps narrow it down yeah. a little bit. And kind of like what um, Taylor was saying in the beginning, like, yes, fans can figure out if you don't know about (laughs) them. But also in on the other side, they also really appreciate it 
when you do know a lot about them and you know k-pop and outside of k-pop it's true like people are flattered when you know things about them Mm -hmm. and um, i'm happy about that but especially in k-pop because a lot of Mm -hmm. groups assume that you know they're um if we're talking about coming to america like they're this group from far away and Mm -hmm. they do get come into situations where people obviously don't know about them so when when you when they recognize that you have good knowledge of them i think it makes it makes them feel good and more comfortable it also makes for a better interview because i've had interviews where people have been like overly explained like i remember i when i interviewed kevin Wu, he like Mm -hmm. took like a good portion of the interview to like explain to me like when girls generation is this group that was nine girls and they were really popular and we came out and i was in this group and i was like i don't mean to be rude but i know like i know <laughs> like just like I, I know we have a limited time but it's like i know i i follow your career i know about this i'm out mm. i'm a k-pop fan mm-hmm. and he was like oh, okay oh okay cool blah 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 and the th- same thing happened with tiffany that once i told her like i know your career then she would just like talk about songs of mm. girl generation yeah. songs and that kind of Thank thing you. and we didn't have to spend time like time that could have been better used with like explaining sure. things that like don't need to like you being a knowledgeable journalist you don't need to be explained so i did um you know just that little old group called bts um okay and uh, <laughs> you know they had everyone in that day it was like 10 minutes and you're out so i was like okay cool 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 but then they had a translator who was saying their names before every like before he translated mm-hmm. and i was like he was like, Jimin, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, you don't have to say their names. Like, I know their voices. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And like, RM just went, really? Really? You know our voices? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah. And he was just like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And then said something to everyone, which I didn't catch. And then everyone went, blah, 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 and just started talking like really naturally. Oh. And they extended the interview. So oh, nice. it was like, even just the littlest courtesy is like, it just helps mm. so much. Goes a so, long way. Yeah. And then like, I felt like the biggest weirdest fangirl when I said it but yeah my embarrassment was like justified I think that goes the other way too like on the flip end when you're actually writing it if you know you're writing for the fans like I'm I write for the ringer but I'm not writing for our 90% male sports focused fan base when I'm writing these articles I'm writing for the fans that are gonna find it you know so you don't have to introduce every you don't have to be this is BTS and say their names and space out their names and you know, introduce every single person like you're you're writing this for a person who doesn't know the group and has never heard of them. Like, obviously, you have to do a little bit because that's what it is. But I think the fans also really appreciate if you know that they are coming into this with a certain amount of, of knowledge and interest and you just like move past it into the things they actually want to know. They're actually new information. Yeah. What's interesting is like when you're watching those those the U.S. interviews, yeah. you can tell when the interviewer doesn't know their name. So they'll just be like, oh, and what? what do you think? Or like, they might know one person. They're like, RM, like, what do you think? And then they'll look at Jim and they're like, well, what do you think? And like, before, say, like, they won't say like, Jim. it's weird. It's interesting. But I think it was Alexis said that the fans, you're writing for the fans. They're going to find your content. So like, I, I remember it was for Remez Club when you wrote about a collaboration between Super Junior and um, Leslie Grace and, and maybe Rake as well. Mm. And just how that Latin vibe came about. In that moment, were you writing more for the K-pop fan or were you writing for to grab that Latinx readers that, you know, came to that website and might have found it peculiar, I guess? Well, that's different because mm. um, for, specifically for Remezcla, Remezcla, they cover Latinx culture. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm the only reason why I was covering that was because they did the song mm-hmm. with Leslie Grace. So that was the angle. I mean, if I could get, you know, 10 minutes with Super Junior and like ask them about like their songs and everything, like I would love that. And I kind of did that at the end, but that didn't make it into the piece. That was kind of like just for me. But <laughs> wait, really? It didn't make it into the piece? Well, no, um, I kind of I kind of ruined the meme <laughs> because I asked them something and they were like completely horrified and I had to be like, oh, my God, no, it's a joke. It's a joke. Remember, oh, I'm a fan. Oh but they were <laughs> they've never talked about it since then. But how I approached it, it was more like I'm writing this for the like the Latinx K-pop fan. But and I'm going to give them a piece that's of substance that it's just not like. Like, oh, yeah, like, they're doing this and, like, arriba or something like that. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the coverage seemed to be that way. So it was, like, a little bit of both. Okay. And I wonder, what is, Kate, if you if you had to say, what do you think is the best way to get sports fans to pay attention to K-pop? What do you think it's that so is? It's so hard. <laughs> My, um, we've done it. We've done several K-pop podcasts. It's kind of on hold since, you know, the world shut down. Um, but my friend Isaac Lee, who's a pod producer for us, he was like my co-host for a while and he's Korean and he's a K-pop fan and he, you know, like is very like has been a fan his whole life, but he also is a sports fan. He produces NBA podcasts and he had this whole metaphor where like Jungkook is the LeBron of K-pop and he like, he, he went very in depth <laughs> off mic, but he was like, he can do it all. He's in the paint, like blah, blah, blah. I can't oh do God. it, but he had this very in-depth metaphor and he kept making like these these references like throughout the podcast that we did. I highly recommend listening to them. They're very fun. I I'm curious. Yeah, he he really tried to like to like tie it in and every time I just like did not understand his references, but he really tries. And <laughs> I need to um, listen to this. <laughs> we do have people that like have found our podcast like through the ringer. Like it's not all, you know, K-pop fans that only, you know, go to the ringer and, and mm. for the K-pop content. There are there are some people that like the the sports content and the K-pop content, but they're few right. and far between. I'm working on it. <laughs> I would say, as a sports fan myself, I really appreciated that reference when I uh, <laughs> when I heard it. It was really great. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> like, who's the Chris Paul of K-pop? Like, I'm trying to. Like, That's so funny. He had like a whole thing where he was like. Uh, so and so, like, send him the assist. I I don't remember how it went oh, because wow. I don't know. I don't <laughs> have sports references. But if that's content people like, I'll bring it back to the. Dre, can you make a video about this, please? That would be so Bruh, funny. Yes, that's you have my hilarious. permission. You have my permission. It's kind of hilarious. Casting BTS as NBA players. Yes. Yeah. Yo, I might just do that. Please. <laughs> All right, let's go into writing. How do you decide on what to write? Is it normally what will give you more traction or what you feel strongly about? Mm, I think they're one and the same sometimes for me. Okay. Like everyone's already said, like, you know, we write for people who already love the group. So if exactly. I'm really passionate about the group, then I'm probably going to, like, what I feel passionate about is what they feel passionate about. And then mm-hmm. it all just kind of keeps going. I think there's times when there are issues, which I'm doing leveling better commas around, um, where you want to bring it up and you want to write about it. And yeah. That just I means K-pop, man. That stuff gets shut down damn quick. <laughs> so, it's K-pop. Yeah. So you don't always get to write what you're actually passionate about. And mm-hmm. therein lies a problem. Do you think that problem will ever change or be able to be solved? Oof, no. Not at, well, I don't want to say no, like forever, but at this point. Um, so I had a girl group that I had set up for this huge piece, um, print and online another girl group kind of got like slammed for something they'd said and 
these guys got cold feet and the whole piece was just like pulled they were like we can't talk about this and then my editor was like we can't do it with them not talking about this and i was just like oh this is going to end up really badly and yeah just got killed damn yeah that's the hardest thing about the industry is just trying to meet halfway with understanding the culture also like how journalism works in korea and how it works here and what we want to do and um a lot of the times it's working with really strict parameters that we usually don't have uh, writing about other things um but i'd say like in the beginning when i first started covering k-pop i was just um wanting to talk to different groups get a sense like especially for refinery like building our coverage like i wanted to give our readers like a a sense of who these groups were and um there were some specific angles but i just kind of like wanted to establish a baseline get people used to the uh the culture of k-pop i want to double up on that point that natalie was making though like there is a very big cultural distinction between what k-pop media and what k-pop groups and the general public in korea deem as like newsworthy or acceptable i'm just talking for myself here as a western journalist there is a lot of um learning that i had to do in the first like two or three years of writing about k-pop because i was coming at it in a really gung-ho like i love this i want everyone to know about this and i'm just coming at it from a western perspective and that was not the right thing to do but in the 10 years that i've been doing this i can see that things haven't progressed within k-pop in that respect you know the the girls are still treated in a different way to the boy groups and so forth. And you really want to see that progression. And when you don't, you do want to start pushing at those boundaries a little and see what you, not what you can get away with, but see if you can build that trust between you and the company to say, you know, we, we, we do not want to get your artists in the shit basically. But at the same time, you know, the way that K-pop has moved within a Western like sphere now and, and the way that people look up to it, is and they and they look up to the artists there's always that little bit more that people want to to get from from their artists and that's not always forthcoming so yeah i mean one of my favorite things is is uh being able to um introduce people who are music fans uh who aren't k-pop fans in into k-pop you know i think i truly believe that there's something for everyone and um just to kind of like through like universal themes or just expanding people's boundaries a little bit and introducing people that way. Again, it's uh, a lot of negotiating and uh, with management and just trying to convince, I'm sure all, all of you guys also <laughs> have had this, just like trying to convince people that your idea, even though it's new and it might not be something that was on the approved list of topics that you're gonna be responsible about it and the fans are gonna love it and, and you're not gonna alienate Korean fans or you're not going to alienate anybody by doing it you know part of what I really like to read is when people write for their publication or write like I mean I love these in-depth pieces I love these profiles on all these groups but like Natalie wrote a piece about Everglow where she asked them what was in their purses which was like a super like refinery 29 centric piece and it was great it was so fun it wasn't like any other interview you'd ever seen with them or at least I'd ever seen with them or really any other girl group and I remember it was like so perfect for refinery and it was so perfect for that group. And it was so fun and different. And I love that. I love when, like, people like Natalie were like, you know, I'm not going to sit down and ask them, you know, what they want to say to their fans through their songs and blah, blah, blah. Like, she, like, made it really different and really fun. And it's, it was perfect for her website. So I think, yeah, coming at it from the angle of, like, what Refinery's readership would want 
also really works depending on the group and the writer as well. Well, thank you, Kate. But I also feel like you have done the same thing as well. I mean, like, I mean, your okay. first, your BTS hair matrix was so the ringer, <laughs> you know, thank it, you. I mean, it's so for the fans, but it's also in a way it's like, so the ring, you could see like, you could do that for sports <laughs> you can yeah i took anything. i took that matrix like style from other sports pieces we were in so you're you're Spot good on. to spot that <laughs> but yeah i think i think i mean and, and the freelancers know that too like you have, you you want to know who you're pitching to and you want to style the piece that you're writing for that that website or that outlet and you guys have uh you kind of mentioned or we've been talking about it sort of lightly here and there but um one of the we've mentioned one of the challenges is that a lot of the times you know and maybe it's because of the language barrier in some ways as well but um many of these k-pop labels will ask for pre questions um beforehand and um i know some people are very like i'm not doing the interview if like if i give you the questions and you know a lot of the times the way the interviews happen is because you have to give it to them. Do you guys have any specific, you know, any any opinions on like pre-approval of questions? And, you know, with the the idea that part of it probably might have to do with the language barrier as well, just so they can have a better understanding and not get anything lost in translation. Um, what are you guys thoughts on on that? I just think it's funny because I think that's one of the things I think where a lot of a lot of people tend to um, we meet halfway when, <laughs> when it comes when it comes to that and sometimes just knowing like that's how it's done in korea but i think that sometimes yeah it is it is true that like it is really helpful for to translate the questions beforehand and because of the language barrier but most of the time it's not it's not because of the language barrier i have a counter argument okay. Okay. <laughs> um sometimes in this very specific instance that there are times where you're talking to an artist and there's no English speaker and there's not really anything like remotely controversial to talk to them about or anything. Like maybe you're just asking them about the music like it and sometimes just sending the questions beforehand. It guarantees me that I'm going to get a good answer hmm. because sometimes when I'm doing when I walk in and they don't know my my questions or even if I send them the questions and they try to answer me in English or something like that. A lot of the times, because when I go into the interviews, I'm most of the times I'm not looking for information. I'm looking for quotes. So it's kind of like mm -hmm. when I'm hearing them talk, I'm like in my mind being already like, I can use this. I can't use this. Mm -hmm. You know, if I if I ask something and they're just like, yeah, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. well, there goes one question wasted. You know that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So. In that sense, sometimes it just makes life easier for me. But I do get that some that you know it depends on the outlet and a lot of things. And like, it's more like that thing I that I've developed that reasoning because of all the all the interviews I've done. And it's kind of like looking at the silver lining and be like, well, at least if I sent them the questions, like hopefully they'll give me a good answer. I mean, I I kind of agree. I agree with both of you. So <laughs> it's like you do need that kind of buffer for them for, to be comfortable because a lot of the time they don't get a lot of media training because so when you give them the questions in advance and they kind of feel more comfortable, it's up to you as a really decent journalist to springboard off those and then kind of ask a bit, you know, dig into that answer more rather than just moving on to your next question. You make of an interview what what you're what you're given, really. So there is good times and bad times. I mean, sometimes you can ask an extra question and that their face is just like, no. 
you're just looking at them then they're looking at each other and you're looking at them and everything gets really awkward and weird and you're like okay cool we'll move on (laughs) so uh, (laughs) mm, interesting but Mm. yeah i agree you want quotes but you also want the meat of the situation as well like i just i also think you know a lot of times when you're working with these companies you know like like i work with the same person for all the sm artists and you know it's the same translator it's the same rep and it's the same person who's asking for questions or asking if she can send me email responses and i'm like no like but you have to build trust right you want to you want to build a relationship and you want to build trust with these people so that when you do have follow-ups or you do you know make jokes in the middle of an interview they'll translate the damn joke and you know what i mean so it's it part of it is is you don't want necessarily to send every single question blah 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 but it's about kind of building trust with the people that you're working with so that they they let you you know they let you go five minutes over or they let you you know ask follow-ups or whatever so i think it's a it's very much a give and take give and take i agree with what all of you have said mm. so, some people just aren't naturally good interviewees and you want to do that you you want to do your best by them so um I don't think I've ever come away from an interview just kind of going, I never want to interview that person ever again. Like, what a right. shit. Like, I just, you know, just some people like aren't good at it and they're great on stage and they're great artists. They're just not great interviewees and you just, you roll mm. with it. You know, it, it, that makes me think, and you guys kind of mentioned how you've never gone into an interview, like, like raw, like not knowing who the person was. And I, it makes me think of like red carpets or like, you know, even um, press junkets, um, like for the Grammys, um, or Grammys week back in 2019, a friend of mine was like Jackson Wang was in town. A friend of mine who's a radio host, alternative music radio host had no idea who he was. And he texts me and he's like, I'm about to interview this dude in like 30 seconds. He's apparently in this group called God seven. Can you tell me anything about him? And I'm like, Oh yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I just like say it as much as I can. But he like, he wasn't even able to look at that. And he was able to he's a good conversationalist he was able to kind of like he knew roundabout like thing you know about him and he tried to he tried his best to try to you know go through things and it actually ended up being like one of his most viewed interviews obviously because it's you know Jackson but the way they were able to work it out he was able to ask broad enough questions but um at the same time like uh I don't know when you mentioned um Taylor you know people who are, are Alexis when you're like yeah when people are just like yeah like they don't give you much of an answer I always think of those instances where like you're on a red carpet or it's just thrown at you and you're like I don't know what to do like <laughs> let's just go with the punches I guess um I don't know, I maybe like that's why are... no one here is a red carpet journalist <laughs> right yeah I mean you've you got to have like you've got to have some kind of respect for those guys because they are li- literally pulling it out of their ass mm. like it's a totally different <laughs> skill set yeah yeah <laughs> Jackson's great though like Jackson mm-hmm. could you know, charm, charm the, you know, mm-hmm. paint off a painting. Like he's, he's, that, he's that good. Right. And right. I also think there is, you can have some really, I don't think necessarily you have to be like a super in-depth, you know, K-pop stan or whatnot, or to be, to have a good K-pop interview. And mm-hmm. it's true for anything. Like sometimes really compelling interviews can come from people who don't really understand the scene or, or mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you should know the person's name and you should try to do the research that you can but um i i definitely think that part of this job or the biggest part of this job is to be curious and curious about people and wanting to learn about people and um and tell their stories to other people so Mm -hmm. you know that you can if you have that down and you uh, work on those tools then um then you can talk to anybody and it's helpful if your interviewee is also um 
down Back to <laughs> down to start. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let's go with um finding your voice on social media. How important is that? <laughs> like, Whoa. is social media important for you? In general, it's an important tool. I mm -hmm. don't. I mean, I don't have massive amounts of followers, but then again, I'm not a celebrity, and I don't expect to be treated mm -hmm. as such. So I find it, I find it quite interesting when people kind of position themselves as like celebrity reporters as celebrities themselves. I find that quite weird and potentially damaging. Sometimes I wish that social media presence weren't as important because. Mm -hmm it's good when it's good and it's really bad when it's bad, you know, it's like, it, it's like a very delicate and volatile space. Um, it can be really helpful to get the word out about a piece to be able to create a following of people who like trust you and like your writing. And if we don't get people reading our pieces, then we can't write them and we're not going to get assigned them. So, um, that, um, relationship building is important to us. A certain extent but you know it can be it can be difficult sometimes sometimes the feedback is really valuable like if fans yeah. give you you know constructive feedback like i find that really valuable and i really kind of treasure the relationship i have a, really, a few relationships with a few like army and a few mom baby and um a few atini and like i really like listening to what they have to say um you know they dm me and they're just like oh this was good and what was this about and i'm like okay, I'll take all this on board. Thank you. Hmm. So, you know, it, it's cool. Like, but like Natalie said, it can be like your best friend and your worst enemy. It's mm -hmm. like, depends on the day, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can be really useful for people starting out as well to not only like build a network, like all of the people on this podcast, I at least knew of and have interacted with on Twitter and wouldn't, other than sitting next to Alexis at every concert we've ever been to, um, <laughs> I wouldn't like, I wouldn't know any of you for the most part, if, if not for Twitter, if not for social media. And I've seen you and I've read your work and I've seen your thoughts on all your different groups. And, you know, and that's like really enriched everything that I've done and learned. And I think that especially when people are starting out, it's just a good way to make your voice heard and educate yourself and mm -hmm. just insert yourself into the conversation. Like when I was starting out and I wanted to be a pop culture reporter, I used to just like reply to reporters, like when I was like a dumbass in college and I would just like reply to like, you know, Variety or like THR and be like, well, here are my thoughts. I was like a reply guy. But like, it's a good way to, to see like, be like, yes, I have something to say about this. Yes, I have something to add to this conversation that's engaging and interesting and smart. And like, it's, a, it's just a good way to bounce your thoughts off of other people. Um, I honestly think it's, it's less necessary, the more, like the more of a career that you have, like mm. if you have a steady writing gig, if you're writing about K-pop or if you're covering K-pop in a steady way, I'm like, the more, the more my career is like steadfast, the less I want to use it. Um, unfortunately it's not steadfast enough yet, so I'm still on Twitter. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for people starting out, it's a really valuable resource and a really valuable way to make connections. Hmm. I like that. I like that. Do you have any thoughts, um, Alexis? I actually really agree with with Taylor in that that you can learn a lot from fans. Um, um, as Natalie said, when it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's really bad. I don't really have a, a big following, but I mean, but that doesn't really matter when you fall into like the bad graces of a fandom and they come after you. When that's happened to me. I've taken the route of like being like, okay, what can I learn from this? And actually what I was saying earlier about being like, like, oh, I'm writing for the fans that I learned from 
a fan who like wrote to me, like replied to me very nastily of Oof. after actually a, um, a Monster X article I wrote. I mean, I started writing about K-pop in like professionally in 2014. So it was like, you know, pre BTS, Billboard, everything. So when I was writing for like alternative weeklies, I still had that mentality of like, oh, I'm writing for like the this audience, like the the, the weeklies um, audience. So it's like very common, right? And that and fans don't like it when you mention other groups. So I opened my article on, on Masa X and I mentioned BTS. And fans mm-hmm. did not like that. And there was one fan who told me, like, you're writing this for Mondebis, not for BTS fans. So you could have you could have opened your article differently. And I was like, that's true. I could have. I didn't. <laughs> but I could have. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's true. So that kind of, like, changed my perspective. And that, like, okay, I see it. I'm writing for the fans. I'm not necessarily writing for someone else who to, to like contextualize and if mm-hmm. i have to contextualize i can do it later on but maybe not the opening line the editors love to get a mention of bts in there though it's hard for me to get a piece across without somebody being like what about bts they do but like it, there's a bit of training on both sides like me going back to my editor and saying like, you know can we not talk about bts because there are more artists out there and like we don't have to discuss this and i can describe them without using like another group to bounce them off of and mm-hmm. That's been a good lesson for me. But when I started writing, which was 2012, I think I did my first K-pop piece. I didn't even know who I was writing for because the the, the fandom was completely different. Yeah. And um, they did want comparisons because Mm. my first piece was an interview with G-Dragon. And I was like, no one really outside of like some really switched on people knew who the hell G-Dragon was. And so they were like, well, who is this guy? Like like who is he like what does he sound like and i'm like mm. hmm do i want to write about all these comparisons to like western people <laughs> that so that they would know him but yeah. yeah i've definitely ditched that habit now yeah but that's another thing that i wouldn't know if not for social media and for reading other piece, other people's pieces you know what i mean like it's just like lessons that you learn like as you do it and as you you sort of hear from people and get that feedback and read other people's stuff. So Right. There's always an entrance point for people. Like when I was like writing, I was always like, when I first found K-pop, I didn't know anything about K-pop and I kind of found it by accident. And there's always going to be that entry, the accidental entry point for someone, right? And that's kind of like, I know I write for fans, but I also write for people who might just stumble on it. Okay. Well, I, I really enjoyed all of y'all's answers. Dre, if you, do you have any other questions you want to ask? Maybe a short little answer. What advice do you have to give to new journalists that are coming up? Just write. Like, and all I did was write. I wrote for myself. I wrote for free. I mm-hmm. wrote for people who read my work and then tore it apart and made me cry. And it's all a big learning curve. But mm-hmm. yeah, write, write your ass off. There are so many facets of K-pop and so many groups. And I feel like some people think they can't write about it if it's not an interview or a profile or a review. But like, you can write about anything. You can write these very specific, entertaining, funny things. I read some, oh God, I can't remember her name, but she went through all of her breakups as told by like Weki Meki songs. And so she like told like this story about some like asshole who dumped her. And then she was like, and here's like why this relates to this song. And it was so funny. And it was, it was just like one of those things where like you can tie the, you can write about anything in K-pop, write whatever you want. You could do a Twitter thread about it. Like it's all the mm. same as long it's content and you're creating it if you want to get paid for it good luck because we're all struggling (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say that know that it's hard 
that you'll be poor, that it's very largely like thankless. Like don't get it, don't get into it for like likes and stuff because mm-hmm. that's gonna go away really fast. And it's just it's not as glamorous as it looks mm-hmm. on Twitter or on IG. Like it's just not. If you want to figure out your entry point, just kind of write and hone in and and be curious and capitalize on the things that you normally think about or read about in your free time, you know, so that you can kind of hone your your specific point of view and um, the diversity in points of view is what's interesting to read. And so definitely focus on that. Mm. People um, celebrate all the time the idea that like you're, it's, it's amazing if your job is something that you're passionate about. Um, if those two things coincide, like that can be really great for a lot of people. Um, it's something I'm very thankful for, but also at the same time, it's a, du- it's a double-edged sword. Sometimes mm. it's hard to make your passion your job because when you conflate those two things, like the magic of it can kind of disappear. Mm. Like also write, but also read. Read as much as you can and not just K-pop. Just read, mm. read, read. Well, thank you guys so much for thank taking you. time out to do this. Um, before we end, can you tell everyone where they can find your work and where they can find you on social media, starting with Kate? Um, you can find me at Kate Hallowell on Twitter. I tweet about K-pop way too much, so please follow me so that I can tweet more. Um, and then you can find my work on TheRinger.com, and I also have a podcast called Tea Time on Spotify where they don't let me talk about K-pop nearly enough. All right. Taylor, where can people find you and your work? I'm on Twitter at oh, underscore XTGX. You can find my work across oh, who for GQ, Vogue, Dazed, ID, Guardian, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm lurking. I'm always around. All right. Alexis. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at H-O-E underscore D-O-Y-A-N. And there should be a link to my portfolio there. All right. And lastly, Natalie, where can people find you and your work? Find me on Twitter and other social media platforms at N-B Morin, M-O-R-I-N. And read my work on refinery29.com. Check it out. Um, I also contribute to Ear Milk sometimes. Um, but mostly to Refinery is my full-time job. Um, and yeah, DM me about mullets, crop tops, uh, oh my God. Chore- choreo. Oh yeah, DM uh, Kate also about mullets. Loop me in that. on that, the mullet content. I want to join. Am I in the mullet crew? I, I'm definitely oh, yeah, in the mullet absolutely. crew. Absolutely. Everybody's in the Please mullet Please never crew. talk to me about mullets. I'm good without mullets. So thank you guys for listening. Um, this has been In My Feels. I'm Emily. I'm JRE. I'm Natalie Moran. I'm Alexis Oyan. Taylor Glasby. And I'm Kate Hallowell. Thank you guys for listening to In My Feels. Adios. variations of